Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by the New Jersey Education Association, the Russell Berry Foundation, making a difference, New Jersey Sharing Network, MD Advantage Insurance Company, the New Jersey Economic Development Authority, Operating Engineers, Local 825, New Jersey Board of Public Utilities, Clean Energy Program, the Northward Center, and by the Adler Aphasia Center. Promotional support provided by Meadowlands Chamber, Building Connections, Driving Business Growth, and by Insider NJ. I'm Steve Arbato. This is Think Tank here on News 12 Plus with my colleague, Nicole Swinerton, our senior producer. Nicole, let's lay out this program today that people are about to see. Three totally different guests talking about very different things. Let's talk. Let's kick off with Dr. Uh, Lori Jacobs talking about COVID long haulers. That's right. We have Dr. Jacobs from Hackensack Meridian Health talking all about the long-term challenges that people who have now recovered from COVID are facing. And they are very serious challenges. And um, many hospital systems like Hackensack are working to um, help these people recover through what's going to be a, a long time, a long-term recovery. Shifting gears dramatically, Steven Sigmund uh, talking about the uh, Gateway Project. He's from the Gateway Program Development Corporation. And that Gateway Project's been held up for four years through the Trump administration. Uh, supposedly, Amtrak Joe, they call him. President Joe Biden is supportive of it. But New Jersey and New York have to come together with the feds to make it happen, right? Exactly. They really need to work together to make sure that this gets done because those tunnels are really, really old and pretty scary to be traveling through. So hopefully the next administration will uh, help the process move along. The last segment on this think tank is about echo um, anxiety dealing with climate change. Uh, that speaks for itself. Two professors, two academics from Rutgers. Tell folks who sponsors think tank. Thanks so much to the New Jersey Education Association, MD Advantage, and the New Jersey Economic Development Authority. Also, the Sharing New Jersey Sharing Network, uh, International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the Board of Public Utilities, the Northward Center, and they have their aphasia center. I'm Steve Arabato. That is Nicole Swenerton. This is another terrific edition of Think Tank. I thought you were going to say Think Tank. Think, <laughs> think Tank. tank. <laughs> we didn't rehearse that. <laughs> This is Steve Adubato. It's my honor to welcome for the first time with us talking about an incredibly important health-related topic. Dr. Lori Jacobs is chair and professor, Department of Internal Medicine at Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine and Hackensack University Medical Center. HMH is one of the major healthcare systems supporting what we do. Um, Dr. Jacobs, long haulers, I've been hearing it more and more. My younger sister, Michelle, will not be upset me disclosing this. I have the okay. She's a long hauler. She had COVID early on. She's still dealing with it. For those who have tested positive and been treated for COVID, what is a long hauler and why does it matter so much? So most of us define people with chronic COVID as greater than three months. A lot of people have a COVID-19 infection and recover immediately 
within a few weeks, maybe have lingering symptoms six weeks to three months. But after three months, we grow concerned that they have a more chronic syndrome that we're seeing more and more often. Um, we've been running our post-acute uh, COVID recovery center at Hackensack Meridian Health now since July, and we had our outbreak starting in March. We're seeing patients with symptoms eight and nine months in duration. So By the way, we're taping on December the uh, 8th. We're in the middle of this, quote, second wave. I'm not sure which way we're supposed to call it, but I'm going to go through this. Help us on this, Dr. Jacobs. Some of the uh, long-term complications from COVID-19. Difficulty breathing, speaking, or swallowing. Difficulty walking or performing self-task. Feeling of extreme fatigue, tiredness. Cognitive changes, such as problems thinking and concentrating. Mental health concerns, anxiety, depression. That's serious stuff. It is serious stuff. And unfortunately for a lot of individuals, no one has taken them seriously up till now. But now there's been more media attention and it's being recognized that this is a real syndrome. We don't entirely understand it yet, but it is probably a generalized response to the infection with various manifestations that you described. The most common being extreme fatigue, so tired you can't get up and go about doing your daily activities and it kind of waxes and wanes. It can go for a few days and then suddenly you have a day you feel great and you think you're on your way to getting better and whammo the next day or that evening, that terrible fatigue returns. There are a bunch of people who have with that, this cognitive uh, issue called COVID fog in, in the public speak. And this is a sense of not being sharp, not being on your game, having difficulty you know, thinking through issues, knowing what's going on may impair your ability to manage your work or your uh, finances. So it's very real. Then there are people with shortness of breath, coughs, chest pain, who may have cardiac or pulmonary manifestations. We saw these uh, with, after the SARS uh, outbreak many years ago. Um, most of those patients recovered pretty much at a year, but they still complained of shortness of breath, even though on measurements, they seem to have recovered. We don't know what will happen with those who had been infected with COVID-19 and still have these symptoms. Um, and this whole syndrome occurs probably in a minority of patients, maybe 2%, maybe 2%, maybe more. We don't actually know that yet. The NIH has just convened a conference to determine the scientific underpinnings and the prevalence. So no one really knows. But even if it's 2%, that's 2% of millions of people worldwide who've been infected. So that's a lot of people. Let me try this. Um, you're part of a COVID recovery center. Uh, as part of the COVID recovery center, the COVID rehabilitation program at JFK. JFK is one of the hospitals within the HMH system. I'm not mistaken. They have a rehabilitation institute. So the reason why I'm mentioning that, and I know JFK well, is that there are programs there are initiatives as these folks who are dealing with long-term implications of COVID, um, there are places for them to go, correct? Yes, so we've set up a multi-pronged program. There's a general intake number, 833-565-0405, and we Could evaluate- Could you do it again, doctor? Do it again. 833-565-0405. And what's that for? 
That's a general intake number where one of our providers will do a telehealth visit usually and try to help someone figure out what are their symptoms, how impaired they, are they, uh, and what are their needs. And then we have uh, a variety of settings and uh, interventions that we're offering. So they can see a primary care provider. They can see behavioral health and have telemedicine for anxiety, depression. There's a tremendous psychological burden associated with just feeling fatigued and ill in addition to all that's gone on with COVID. In addition, we have groups of pulmonologists, cardiologists, neurologists who are working with us. And then the rehabilitation programs, both outpatient and inpatient rehabilitation. And some of the treatment is rehabilitation. For example, patients with a cardiac syndrome that we've seen, it's similar to something called- Patients Pons. with COVID, I'm sorry for interrupting, patient with, with COVID had with COVID. Cardiac, cardiac issues? They can have cardiac issues, but we don't know the extent of it or how long it will last. There are some studies that show that they had inflammation of the heart muscle or the lining of the outside of the heart uh, a couple of months afterward, but that may resolve, we don't know. But then there are individuals who have palpitations and lightheadedness so bad that they have to lie down, they can't uh, do their activities. And some of those patients are treated with uh, rehabilitation as well as uh, cardiac interventions. Dr. Jacobs, I'm sorry for interrupting. Before I let you go, the quick thing I want to ask you, because we are committed at the Caucus Educational Corporation in cooperation with our brothers and sisters in public broadcasting to be engaged in the most effective public awareness, public education around the vaccine. Now we're taping on the COVID vaccine. Now we're taping at the end of 2020. It'll be seen in 2021. What's the message you have for those out there who are skeptical, some have legitimate questions about it, what would you say? I think this is a very serious disease. Even if you had a mild case, you could have severe post-COVID syndromes. The best thing is to prevent getting this disease. Vaccines have been the way that we have prevented disease for decades in the world and has prevented more disease than medical treatments. This is a very serious disease and prevention is our best way out of this. Are it you gonna take it? Take Are you gonna it? take Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Would you do it publicly, doctor? Would you do it publicly to send a public message? Absolutely. I think it's critical. Hmm. It's interesting, we're gonna be talking to, we actually talked to uh, Dr. Sharif Alnahal over at University uh, Hospital who told us that a significant percentage of their clinicians are skeptical. It seems to me that the public awareness campaign, I'll get off my soapbox right after this, is not only with the general public, but with clinicians, because people are gonna watch what you and your colleagues do. And Dr. Lori Jacobs, the chair, professor, Department of Internal Medicine at Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine and Hackensack University Medical Center. I want to thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. All the best. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. I'm Steve Adubato. We'll be right back. To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. I could feel my lungs fill with oxygen and I got my life back. The sharing network means to me hope, life, and everything. The sharing network was a lifeline to me when I really needed it. We are an organ procurement organization. The core purpose of the New Jersey Sharing Network is to save and enhance lives. To honor those who gave. Pay tribute to those who received. Offer hope to those who continue to wait. And remember the lives lost while waiting. For the gift of life.
We're now joined by Stephen Sigmund, uh, Chief of Public Outreach, Gateway Program Development Corporation. Good to see you, Steve. Good to see you. Thank you very much for having me. Our pleasure. We're talking uh, at the end of 2020, be seen in 2021. What is the Gateway Project? Why does it matter so much, particularly as we move into 2021? Yeah, I mean, look, we're we're still dealing here in almost 2021 with a uh, hundred and now 110 year old, uh, one track in, one track out system uh, between New York and New Jersey that is the busiest part of the entire Northeast corridor that that uh, carries 800,000 people a day, uh, certainly before COVID, uh, and we expect it to again, and uh, is a vital link to. 10 to 20 percent of the nation's economy. So, you know, I, I mean, look, as you well know, Steve, you know, we've been talking about uh, replacing this train tunnel and this system for 20, 30 years at this point. It's 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 really well past time that it gets done. And, you know, now there's an extra um, reason to do it in, in the economic stimulus that it brings. You know, the, the, the project, the tunnel project alone, uh, in the EIS that we submitted over two years ago. What's the EIS against the... I'm sorry, it's the Environmental Impact Statement, which yeah. uh, we, we need to keep the project moving forward. And by the way, this administration, uh, this current administration, uh, USDOT has been sitting on it for almost three years, but it shows 72,000 direct jobs from the Hudson Tunnel Project and 19 billion in economic activity. And you know, there's no better time to get a project like that started when we're trying to come out of the, and recover from the COVID crisis. So let's do this. Um, this will be seen before President President-elect as we speak do this now, but he'll be the president by the time this is seen in repeats, if you will. Here's the thing. I'm actually just as we're literally doing this program in the middle of uh, December. Governor Murphy had a specific call with uh, the president to be Joe yeah. Biden. Talked about a range of issues. Obviously, the coronavirus top of the list. Gateway was right up there. This is a top priority. What? What makes you believe, Stephen, you've been at this for a while, Jerry Zarr and your colleagues, yeah. um, that a President Biden actually saw him on Antrap many times back and forth, <laughs> you know, who understands transit, who understands transportation and related issues. What makes you believe in your colleagues that a President Biden, Biden would be more responsive to the Gateway Initiative? Well, the nice thing is he's, al he's already said he would. <laughs> I mean, in 2017 at the RPA, uh, conference, he said the gateway. Is that the regional plan association? The regional plan association conference. He said gateway project is the most important infrastructure project in the country, uh, mm. and in his uh, infrastructure plan, his campaign infrastructure plan, he specifically called for the Hudson River Tunnel, a new Hudson River Tunnel project. So, <laughs> so we don't just have to guess; we actually know it. And you know, as you said, you know, he's called Amtrak Joe for a reason, right? I mean, he knows these. He knows the system up and down. Right. He knows it well. He knows the people. He knows the dedication that the, the, the people are giving. And most importantly, he understands its importance uh, as a link to the regional and national economy that can't be allowed to fail. You know, we focus on public policy, less politics. It's not our thing, but it's very hard to separate at times, you know, Steve Sigmund. So I'm going to ask you about New York and New Jersey working together, our two governors. My understanding, and I could be wrong, is that a report that came out recently called, is it the London Bridge Report? Yes, London Bridge Associates, yeah. Yeah, it talked about the possibility of doing the repairs on the existing tunnels while they're in use. Now, Governor Murphy has said, absolutely not. I believe Jerry Zarrow, who is a leader of your organization, said, absolutely not. Unless I'm wrong, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has said, meh, let's look at that. That's a problem. 
Well, look, I mean, the, the report that you refer to is a, is a feasibility study that we had done uh, and actually started way back in 2019. Uh, and and the, the, the consultant's conclusion, as you suggest, is that you could do a full rehab uh, in place while you built the new tunnel. So uh, let's understand a couple things. One, the project is, is the same project no matter how we sequence it, right? The project is build a new tunnel, two-track tunnel under the Hudson, and fully repair and rehabilitate the existing tunnel so it lasts another hundred years. So you have, right. a, so you have four tracks into and out of New York, and that'll 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 connect with an expanded Penn Station, et cetera. Right. So this feasibility study was to look at whether you could do all or pieces of the of the rehab sooner. Um, and you know maybe there are pieces we we can do. I mean we want to take a look at the report and determine its feasibility. You have to remember what's happened here is that we've spent the last four years instead of building this project, just trying to keep it alive, right through the through the Trump administration. Is it and, a lost opportunity? And, and, and we've done that. I mean oh absolutely. I mean look, it's been a lost opportunity for thirty years. I mean this is this is not anything new. We should have built Ark. Steve, do me a favor. Stay right we, there. Stay, yeah. stay right there. And Nicole, our producer, do me a favor. As we're speaking, we haven't done justice to this. Let's show some pictures of what the tunnel looks like, because Steve Sigmund can talk about it. It's another thing to see it. Keep talking. We're going to show those pictures. What? What are these? How bad is it? Because you talk about these thirty years. How bad, Steve? Well, look, I, I can just give you some numbers. I mean, we, we the Northeast the Northeast Corridor Commission did a did a study uh, over five years that showed, uh, I think it was two thousand five hundred hours of of delay, and, and you know as much as an equivalent of five days, or or and there were fifty in, or sorry eighty five incidents that were, where there were more than five hours of delay. So I mean, look, the the, the existing tube it is a hundred and ten years old as of November twenty seventh, twenty twenty. Right? Happy birthday. To it, but it has done its job. I mean, it has more than done its job, right? It has done everything we've asked of it and more. And obviously, it's now uh, uh, getting delayed and failing and crumbling in lots of places, and needs to be repaired and and rehabilitated. And we need uh, two new tubes into and and out of New York. First of all, that was the original plan in 1910. It was it was always supposed to be four 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 tracks going into and out of New York. And the rest of the Northeast Corridor, which is you know the 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 corridor that carries 800,000 people is four or five or six tracks. So here at the busiest part of the corridor, it necks down to one track in and one track out, including a tunnel that is 110 years old. And it was inundated by Hurricane Sandy. It gets wet. It has old ballasted tracks, uh, rock tracks that uh, send off false signals. The signal system needs to be replaced. The, the, concrete, the concrete lining needs to be shored up. The, 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 the overhead system needs to be replaced. I mean, look, this is... A, you know, okay. anything that's 110 years old, you can't ask it to do the same job it did on day one. So let's do this, Steve. Um, we've had many conversations about this initiative. It's not new, but it's more important than ever. We'll stay on top of it. We'll keep creating public awareness around it, and particularly because we are seen in the tri-state region, the New York, New Jersey connection is what it is. Um, and it's so critical to be able to go back and forth in a way it makes sense. It's transportation, it's environmental, it's quality of life. It's nothing that, that you, it, it affects every aspect and of it's our economic, And it's economic stimulus. I mean, it's all of those things. You said it 
better than I could. I mean, it's a, it is all of the things that we want to that we want to accomplish uh, as policymakers is uh, really contained in this one project. Stephen Sigman, Chief of Public Outreach, Gateway Program Development Corporation. Steve, I want to thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate thank it. You, thank you, Steve. I appreciate the time and I appreciate all your uh, attention to this, even during a period of time when we were when we were all trying to keep it alive. So now, you know, we look forward to it really, really, really getting started in a real way. Thank you. By the way, check out our sister program, Metro Focus. They've been doing a lot of work on this as well. I know check it. out Metro Focus because yeah. they do uh, a lot of work about the, around the region programming. Yeah. Hey, yeah. we're right back right after this. To see more Think Tank with Steve Adubato programs and to listen to Think Tank with Steve Adubato, the podcast, visit us online at steveadubato.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, and follow us on Twitter at steveadubato. We are honored to be joined by two very distinguished academics, Dr. Patricia Finley, Associate Professor and Director, Master of Social Work Program at Rutgers University School of Social Work, and also Dr. Carrie Ferraro is Associate Director, Coastal Climate Risk and Resilience Initiative at Rutgers University Center for Ocean Observing Leadership. You think the university, you think Rutgers has titles that are long enough? <laughs> you need to buy a vowel so you can pronounce it. <laughs> I um, Professor Finley, let me ask you this. Your area of expertise um, around climate, excuse me, around the whole question of climate change I actually bring in the mental health side of trauma, impact yeah, I, I of trauma. I, here's the problem for me. I hear climate change, and then I hear stress, echo anxiety, and I'm confused. Help me. Yes, the world is changing, and uh, people are very concerned about the impact on the earth, and people have a lot of anxiety around that. Okay, so, Dr. Ferrer, let me ask you this. How do you collaborate together with your two different entities within this very big state university, Rutgers. Yeah, it, it's actually, we were, we were fortunate to be brought together by Marjorie Kaplan of the Rutgers Climate Institute. Um, and I have an interest in the science um, as well as education. And so it was been, it's been great to, to work with Patricia um, on how climate change will really impact children. And Patricia, you presented at the New Jersey Education Association annual convention remotely, right? Yes, Karen, I did, yes. <laughs> what, what kind of reaction did you, what was the message, A and B, what kind of reaction did you get? Lots of validation that this is very a concerning area for these teachers. We had a wide range of kids, teachers from kindergarten through high school, all expressing concern about what the children, the adolescents are experiencing and sharing in their classrooms and wanting help with some solutions to help manage behaviors. Uh, solutions such as? Uh, that's where we kind of work together, Carrie, and I really enjoy this part of our work is we take, first of all, a look at the child and their developmental stages, and then we offer solutions of ways that kids can manage their anxieties that are age appropriate. For example, Carrie, if I had a, a six-year-old, what kind of activity would you give a six-year-old to learn about the environment? Yeah, uh, definitely exposing children, bringing them outdoors and really exposing them to nature and appreciate nature at that age is the way to go. Um, and to really speak to them in an age appropriate manner, um, not to overwhelm them. You know, here's what I'm 
Well, let me, let me follow up on that. And by the way, I have a feeling you two did have done that before. <laughs> you did that handoff. It, it was very smooth, I noticed. But here's what's interesting. Our daughter, Olivia, is uh, 10. And she does talk about climate change, not climate ang change anxiety, I will be clear. But I will say this. I, I'm often more hopeful that those who are younger are more receptive to climate science and um, are believers because they believe science and data. And am I making too much of that, Patricia? Oh, no. I'm so, so glad to hear you talk that way. That's probably our biggest hurdle is to really speak the truth to the children. A lot of people protect kids from what's actually happening, but really telling them about science and educating the kids is so important. Okay, but along those lines, kids are one thing, but some of their parents, right, and children hear things in their home, they learn from a lot of different places, a lot of different sources, including parents in their home life. What would you say to parents right now watching who say, um, I don't know, I think we make too much of this whole climate change thing. I, yeah, I believe it, but come on. Uh, with COVID and everything else, the problems are much bigger than that. You say what, Carrie? Yeah, I would say that 99% of the scientists agree that climate change is happening and it's um, because of human activities. Um, and all the data suggests that this is this is what's occurring and that it's gonna continue to occur until we take some actions. And in terms of anxiety, Patricia, to, to those who say, well, I do believe, but you know, I feel like it's too late. That's not gonna get us where we need to go, fair? Absolutely, it's a giving up. And, and let, let's talk about that. Why do you think some people take that road? Hey, come on, it's too late. Why do you think that happens? I think because the problem is overwhelming. They don't know how to begin and how to work collectively to create some solutions. And it's a problem that it might not be in their own neighborhood, but it will be. You know, it's almost the way we're dealing with COVID. Until it comes and affects your own life, people aren't realizing how important it is. And every little decision we make, we were joking before that I had this plastic bottle up here. I'm not going to show the name of the... Um, in all seriousness, I had this water here and we're taping. And I was like, I was embarrassed because it hit me, right? And I went, okay, I guess I better put it in this mug, right? <laughs> right? And you would say, well, what does that have to do with climate change? What does it have to do with our environment? And the fact is, Carrie, every decision we make or don't make has implications. Yeah, absolutely. Um, everyone makes choices every day that can impact the environment. And it's, it's really important to think about what you're doing. Um, and also, by taking these steps, you know, uh, you could support your children in feeling like they're actually accomplishing something to make it better. So doing, um, being more conscious of what you're doing, um, and, and especially when you're showing your children what you're doing, um, is important to helping both cl combat climate change, but also um, this kind of eco-anxiety. So it's interesting, Patricia, we have about a minute left. I'm curious about this. You can sit there obsessing over climate change, having anxiety over climate change, saying, oh my God, it's the end of the world, or, which actually isn't a strategy, or actually do something. And I'm not an expert on mental health, but I will, I do believe that if you're doing something, 
you're actually dealing with the anxiety itself. Is that, Absolutely. am I oversimplifying it? Go ahead, please. Absolutely not. We believe that anxiety, we all have anxiety. It's how we choose to manage it is what helps us be successful. So we can choose to do nothing and this makes us more anxious. But if we do anything to help alleviate that, we'll, be, we'll feel better. So doing something has the potential by itself to not, if not eliminate, reduce anxiety. Is it fair to say, Patricia? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. So uh, Dr. Patricia Finley and her colleague, Dr. Carrie Ferraro, who presented at the NJEA, New Jersey Education Association um, Conference Annual Convention. By the way, every year we've been there for the last many, many years. We did this one remotely. We're continuing to do interviews with people who presented at the convention and we'll, we'll cross our fingers that we can be there um, in 2021. Yeah, Patricia, yeah. Patricia and Carrie, I want to thank you so much and go Scarlet Knights. Yes. Thank you. Listen, great having you. Uh, I'm Steve Adubato. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by the New Jersey Education Association, the Russell Berry Foundation, New Jersey Sharing Network, MD Advantage Insurance Company, the New Jersey Economic Development Authority, Operating Engineers, Local 825, New Jersey Board of Public Utilities, Clean Energy Program, the Northward Center, and by the Adler Aphasia Center. Promotional support provided by Meadowlands Chamber and by Insider NJ. I could feel my lungs fill with oxygen and I got my life back. The Sharing Network means to me hope, life, and everything. The Sharing Network was a lifeline to me when I really needed it. We are an organ procurement organization. The core purpose of the New Jersey Sharing Network is to save and enhance lives. To honor those who gave. A tribute to those who received. Offer hope to those who continue to wait. And remember the lives lost while waiting. For the gift of life.